Hi, welcome to the Witching Hour. I am Patty Negri, psychic, medium, and good witch, and your host for this hour journey into the other worlds. You may recognize me from my regular appearances on Ghost Adventures or from my book, Old World Magic for the Modern World, but this is my baby. This is the Witching Hour. What is the Witching Hour, you may say? Well, actually, it's really late at night when the veil between the worlds is the thinnest and magic happens. But this Witching Hour is well, whenever you happen to be listening to this podcast. So this is The Witching Hour. And The Witching Hour is where I bring you my lifetime of spiritual and magical experiences and training and education and the paranormal and mysticism. But more than anything, this is about my guests. I bring you the very, very best guests in the world. Thought-provoking, entertaining, and informational chats with people who truly are the best in their field. In magic, spirituality, the occult, metaphysics, and all things supernatural. So sit back and relax, and let's journey to the witching hour together. My guest today is one of my favorite people in the whole world. I only get to see him a few times a year, so even right here through the video, it makes me very, very happy. But let me tell you who he is first, in case you don't know. My guest is the beautiful Kadrick Olson. From early childhood and throughout his life, Kadrick Olson has led a paranormal life. From seances at an early age to a lifetime of esoteric and occult practice, including runes and Norse mysticism. His experiences and deep understanding the supernatural has helped many people around the world. Kadrick Olson is an internationally renowned author, speaker, and teacher who specializes in runes, Norse mysticism, pagan men's spirituality, and resolving paranormal problems. Welcome, Kadrick. Hey, Patty, I love you. You're one of my favorite I love, people, too. I know. I love you so much. I must be lifetimes. I don't even know. Um, so, yes, honestly, I must say you are uh, the men's mysticism, and uh, I mean, the men's Nordic stuff and men's mis and men's spirituality itself. Um, there's so few of you out there doing that. I, I love that you are so outspoken and so good in this, and especially your men's spirituality. Don't you do circles and classes and things? Yes, definitely. We've got a growing group of men. Uh, it is a very needed thing because when we look around into a lot of the pagan circles and a lot of the new age places, we find a lot of feminine spirituality, which is wonderful. It's beautiful that we're able to tap into that. And I noticed a lot of men, either one, get left out of everything. You know, they're told this is for women. This is a woman's place. You're allowed to be here, but they kind of don't fit in or two. The opposite of that is that we get some of these groups that are just, you know, really not in the best sense. I, I don't want to use the word toxic masculinity because I think they're toxic traits that are, are exhibited throughout the spectrum. But some of these groups are not necessarily the best. So a lot of men find themselves left out. Like they're sitting there going, I'm not a warrior, so I don't want to fit into these warrior groups. And I don't see why I have to be a warrior. And other men are going, well, these are feminine groups. They're great, but where do I fit in? And so I, I saw that that was out there, and I recognized my own struggles with what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a pagan man, where it fit in. And I saw all of these things going out there, and I'm like, okay, guys, let's get together and create something that can work for all of us so that we have a better way to connect with what is the sacred masculine 
and start living that in our lives, bringing it into our lives so that we can provide a better example, not only for the people around us, but the future generation of men who don't necessarily have to go through the trials and tribulations that we did to discover what it means to be a sacred man living in today's world so that we can act as a mentor to this new generation and really help out in a lot of ways that were never ever possible until recently. That's beautiful. And yes, I, I, I got started on the pagan path, well, besides just kind of being born into it, in the 80s when all these women's circles and all this, and I would be at some big gathering of some early goddess movement and all that, and there'd be 200 women and like three men, and they were allowed, but they really felt like the bastard stepchildren in the corner. <laughs> it's like, that's not right. That's not right. Um, so why Norse? Is that who, is that, is that a bloodline thing or how did you get into Norse and Nordic spirituality? The Norse kind of happened upon me growing up in my parents' house. Our basement was a library of books, everything from encyclopedias to, I don't know if you remember the old Gavin and Yefrost books, the, you know, the, the books on witchcraft from way back when to my favorite which was The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. And I devoured that when I was a teenager there. In that book, he depicts the various ancient mystery schools from the Eleusinian mysteries to the Egyptian mysteries, even to the Illuminati, the Masons. And he had a little bit of a segment in there that caught my attention. The Odinic Brotherhood from the Scandinavian cultures, which was fascinating to me. But at the same time, I was really getting into that when I did discover Ralph Blum's Book of Runes, and that seemed to connect with me. I was listening to some pretty crazy music at that time. This is when thrash metal started to come out mm-hmm. of the UK. <laughs> and I found a band that I really loved when I was a kid called Sabbath, who were all singing about pagan themes. And one of their albums was based off of a book called The Way of Weird by Brian Bates. I picked that up, and it all resonated all of these things started to connect. There was the same words being uh, phrased throughout everything from the music to the books, and it just clicked. And I went back and I thought, well, if Manly P. Hall is writing about all of these ancient spiritual traditions that are all saying the same thing, just using different imagery and different symbols, then I need to have a control group. I need to have a foundation that I can use to really dig into, to hone my skills and my deeper understanding of what this mystical paranormal world is that I'm living in, and then start to decode what's going on in all of these traditions so that I have a good foundation of understanding it. And because the runes of the Norse clicked so well for me, I said, okay, this was a conscious choice. This is this was it for me. And yeah, over the years I realized my genetic heritage is primarily uh, Northern European, but there's some mix in there. But that wasn't the deciding factor. It was just it's something clicked, something resonated. It's like, I got it. And so I used that as my foundation. Once I understood that, I went to explore other different traditions across the planet, of, you know, current existing esoteric, mystical, magical traditions. And I had that foundation to understand what was going on, what words that they were using, how there's symbols that correlate across through everything, like the Ouroboros becomes Jormungandr in the Norse tradition. These are all the same things. And I, that gave me a deeper understanding of the Norse practice, but that wasn't enough. This is all theory. This is all great, nice, mystical mythology. 
but what does it all mean? So I really have been working for the past several years, past couple of decades to say, great, this is what it meant to the ancient people. These are some practical tools that we can use, but what do we do with it in our modern world so that it's effective to us, so that we can actually use it in a real practical way that gets us the results that we need to do. And that's the basis of the work that I'm doing is even though I'm doing the men's spirituality and doing the paranormal protection, I even do shadow work. Throughout all of that, I weave Norse mysticism and runes as the means, as the tools to accomplish these things rather than my primary focus. That's beautiful. Yeah, because to me, it's like I study different ones, too. I don't have even one as solid, but it's your roadmap. It's, it's the template you use. You could use lots of different templates, and that's the one that you pick. And and then once you have that, then you can navigate into other things. That's beautiful. I love that it was music in a band that got, <laughs> that got you there. Yeah. Um, speaking of music, I mean, I know we've done both things with Gaia before, and um, there's this one little thing, a magic thing. It's one of their many things. And you were talking about singing the runes. That really intrigued me. I would like to know a little bit more about that. Absolutely. And why. And... In our modern times, we see runes as a divination tool. You go into a witch shop or a metaphysical bookstore and you see this little pouch of little stones or pieces of wood with these characters carved on them. And that is like the modern use of runes is as a divinatory tool. But it's not traditional. It's not how the Old Norse people used runes. As I dug through the lore, and I'm translating Old Norse into English so that I could better understand it, I'm finding over and over, and this is repeated from other people who have discovered the same thing, that the lore tells us that the runes are best used when they're sung. We get phrases like, Dan kanet galdra et gala, which means then I know the rune songs to sing. And the key word here is galdr. Galder is kind of like the sound that a raven or a crow makes, but it is also referring to rune magic. And there are special types of poems called Galdralag, which is a special magical meter that tell us what the runes were and how they were used as chanting, as sort of like enchantments. And so looking into that one, I'm able to decode a little bit more about how we can sing the runes, how we could use the runes, such as a rune chant that will help somebody go into a conflict safely and come back is right out of the Havamal, one of the poems uh, by Odin. Odin, that is like, Hela Hilda Till, Hela Hilda Fram, Hela Hilda Till, Hela Hilda Fram. And that just basically means hail and hold to the battle and hail and hold from the battle. I've taken that a bit of a step further in the modern times, looking to the old Elder Futhark which was used for the Proto-Norse languages. There are seven vowel runes in there. And I'm like, hmm, like seven chakras. And if I arrange those along the length of the spine from the higher pitched vowels at the top of the head, like E, to the lower pitched vowel at the base of the spine, like ooh, I actually find that they match with the chakra points. The meaning of the runes match with the chakras. And that blew my mind. Like. Anzus at the throat has that ah sound. And ah, Anzus, deals with communication, awareness, and understanding, which is all about the throat chakra. Now, if I go back to 
old Norse, or I go back to some old ancient rune carvings, like Laukas Alu is a healing formula. I know the ah sound is at the throat and the ooh sound is at the base of the spine, that I can feel that flow of energy when we're singing the runes of going Laukas and that becomes an important part of the magical spiritual work that I do with people. So as they come to me and we put together some runes that will help them with their situation, we can galder that. We can sing those runes to life in their own life so that they're more than just these cute little characters that you see on a pouch in a, a wood shop. That right. these become active living energies through sound, vibration and intention in your life. That is beautiful because I work a lot with sounds in chants or a little bit of Egyptian Hekka stuff and, and it makes such sense. Is this in a book yet? Are you writing a book on this? Because I need to learn more. Absolutely. That, My book, uh, Runes Transformation, we definitely get into Galder. With this book, I talk about finding the runes that are within you. Let's talk about the rune Urus. Urus yes. represent strength and vitality. So it's an opportunity for you to look at your urus, your strength. But then you look at urus, how it's presented in the world, like the chair that I'm sitting on. There is a strength of this chair to support my weight. So that's the chair's urus. And if you're recognizing that you have a rune internal, then there's a reflection of it external. So I help you to create galdrathula, which are like magical rune chants, to look at what the runes are that you want to change in your inner world, create them as a mantra formula so that you can chant and sing these runes, vibrating those different resonance centers and then bringing them to life so that you are changing your inner world through runes, giving the opportunity to reflect that change in the world around you just by learning those intentions and singing them. That is beautiful. Plus the sound that's coming out is having effect too, inner and outer and and it's your breath, your pneuma, your life force. It's everything that's attached to it. Well, um, the thing about that is I call it temporal resonance. That if you are connecting with the shape of the rune, the sound of the rune, and the intention of the rune, and singing it with those same sounds, the same intentions, you are connecting at a spiritual level with everybody who has sung those runes with those same intentions for thousands of years and your energy and intention builds upon their energy and intention and their energy and intention builds upon yours, which is why runes can be such a powerful tool because you are singing with the ancients every time you sing a rune in that way. That is beautiful. So if I came to you, it's like, okay, these are my issues or you'd figure out my issues, then you would create a, a, a rune, a chant that could empower me or help me with those shifts along the way. Absolutely, I'll probably ah, okay. find a rune for you, which is like a sigil, and I'll give you yes. the sound to go with that one. Yes. I'll teach you a little bit of a ritual meditation practice that you can do with it, so that it not only exists in your ritual meditation space, but you could put it someplace in the world, like the dashboard on your car, uh, the wall next to your bed when you wake up in the morning, or the, the, the cubicle wall that you're working at near your desk, so that you could see this, and then you suddenly galder that little galder that goes with a bind rune, and it affects you, and everything you did in the ritual space, you're bringing into your real life and your daily daily life and living it. I, you're hired. <laughs> I want my room. Now, <laughs> I, yes. Now, you do seances. Like, we both did them very young. We started out doing seances. Do you incorporate this into your seance work? Absolutely. 
for setting sacred space and making sure we're in sacred space, I use the rune Algiz, which is a protective rune to connect the upper worlds to the place that we are here. There's a rune called Awaz. It looks like it has like a little hook in the upper world and a little hook in the lower world, right? They reach to the upper and lower worlds. That is a conduit of subtle communication so that we can use that to open the worlds between us. There's also a rune in the younger food thork called Yr, spelled Y-R, Yr, which is the rune of the dead. And so these runes help us to open the gateways so that we can open what's in the Norse. We call it the Helgrind which is the gate of the dead. So the dead can walk upon the, the path of the dead, the Helvegor, so they can walk that to come here. We use the rune Anzus for communication, awareness, and understanding, Laguz, so we can get that emotional flow and that flow of energy to help go through all of those places. And so combining all of those runes together, we can create an environment conducive to connecting with spirits. That is beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Wait, we'll stop this phone ringing. Okay, it was toll free. <sighs> Cut. Now we're back. Um, so thank you for that. That is amazing. And speaking of the dead, <laughs> which we're not going to go there. Um, I know you also do a lot of paranormal work, like like as well as I do. And I remember, hey, were we in New Orleans? We were somewhere at a vampire ball and, and you, you sat us down and you gave us part of your paranormal and your workshop and things like that. And it's fascinating and it's not something that's done. So anything you want to talk about that? What, you, what you've created, what you do? Yeah, that, that was fun. You and Cedric, who works with the NOPE team in New Orleans, helped me realize a little bit of my own shadow work that comes through is because I would watch some of these paranormal TV shows and I would be so frustrated with the way they were working there. And I'm like, you're creating your own problems. You're doing these things. Why are you acting that way? Why are you generating this? Because to me, that was natural, normal. That's what I grew up with. I thought like, they gotta be doing this on purpose. And then they turn around and complain about the problem that they caused scratching my head going, why would you do that? And then talking with you and Cedric with Nope, I realized, oh, this is another gap that's needed out there. What I took for granted as natural, normal, because I grew up as a paranormal life, I grew up around this stuff, that there is a desperate need for people to be trained in protection from these paranormal entities, and especially some of the, the paranormal investigators and the ghost hunters. Going into these locations, they may not know how they are accidentally agreeing to attachments, how they may accidentally be stirring up some of the energy that could be detrimental to them, and that there actually may be things that they could be doing to produce better results for them in a way that's safe. And so you and Cedric together were the impetus for me to put together my notes and go, oh, this is how a plan could work. And so I created a, a two-hour introduction so I can help you know, get a team trained so that when they have their next encounter at a place, they're safe, they're secure. And I looked at this and I realized I can expand this to a really intensive hands-on weekend workshop so that a paranormal team could have a designated safety monitor, for want of a better word, that this person would be in charge of setting sacred space around base, for example, so that maybe there's some bad juju, something gets stirred up and around there, that they have an immediate place that they can retreat to, to keep themselves safe. 
that if they want to do these open forms of contact and communication, I walk them through the various levels of contact from the moment of feeling a cold spot to noticing inside, are you getting an icky, gross feeling inside? Are you feeling nauseated to a weird thought or emotion that seems out of place for what's going on? And then how you could set the boundary for yourself to go, okay, cool, we've made contact, this is what's going on, so that you can avoid that escalating into a conflict situation. And unfortunately, if it does, you'll also have the tool to, you know, re retaliate that conflict so that you could stay safe and put yourself into a safe situation. And also in that course, we talk about the things that you probably can't take care of, the, the big nasties of a place, because some of these places can have the really big nasties, the egregores that exist. And if you try to mess with them, we are not equipped as human beings to deal with them head on. But there are ways that you could work with them, which is kind of surprising, but there are ways that you can work with them to understand what their needs are, what they want, so that you can actually have a good paranormal investigation without any harm coming to anybody, without any lingering attachments, so that you have a safe and secure investigation from the spiritual level. I'm not going to go into the OSHA stuff because that's not my arena, but I can help you with the spiritual stuff. Yeah, and, and you're right, it is so needed and not there. And plus, so many people go into ghost hunting, as they call it, or paranormal investigation, and they don't have any kind of, of spiritual background. That, that's not what it is, where you we, we have these different paths that we've done in the metaphysics and the occult and spirituality. They don't, they just want to hunt ghosts. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's so needed. They don't even know who, who you want to call when you get scared. So that's, that's beautiful. Cool. And that's one of the cool things about taking this course is one of the things I'll teach you is how to be in a sense of awe when something does go awry, because maybe somebody is investigating this because they're a skeptic. And I love skeptics. You know, they just don't believe that the paranormal is real. And that's great. Maybe you investigated a thousand locations and every and 999 times everything is completely explainable with a mundane thing. But then you get that one time. That one time, which is just that, oh my God, what was that? No, there, no, that was it. There you go. Flat out that one time out of the thousand. But what do you do about it? But now that you know, this is kind of one of the things that breaks my heart. As I've seen people who have collected Ouija boards and told me they've never had a paranormal experience, that they've gone through their entire life. They said they've been to haunted locations. They've never had a paranormal experience. And then when I'm talking with them and we're going through some of the things in their life, I realize, yes, you have. It's just you've kind of defined what paranormal experience means into a tiny little box by what you've seen on TVs and movies. And it gets a little frustrating. So some of these skeptics coming into these places like, nope, there was nothing here. All that was happening was just that one room that was really drafty, but we couldn't find a window that was open. It was like... There we go. That was what you were looking for, that little subtle moment. So with the class that I offer gives you that opportunity to go, oh, was this a paranormal moment? And then what to do with it so you can tap into it and help it unfold. And then you have definitive proof of like, oh, this isn't a subjective moment. This is something that is objective and it could affect our data gathering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, get this together because 
as we get through this whole pandemic thing and and par the paracons get started again i want to see you there you know because everybody who goes and talks about their experiences and the different teams and the tv people and whatever i i think your class would sell out i i just know it would or your presentation or whatever that is so so this year babe <laughs> um yeah and i i I love skeptics too. They are the best. <laughs> they are. I, I and I like to be challenged. Whether we're in a paranormal setting, I just did this radio show with these comedy people of the Comedy Cellar, and it's like, yeah, give it to me, give it to me, and it's good. I don't even try to convince anybody, but I'm going to give you my perspective and why. Um, even even the my craziest experience when I was at the Marilyn Manson house when the biggest skeptic there who was the cameraman burst into flames. That oh. wasn't subtle. That wasn't subtle, but what he certainly became a believer really fast. And it, it all turned out really good. He actually was so inspired. He wrote a script about a movie and this and that, but yeah, they do fall the hardest it, when they, it, when, and if they so choose to go that direction. <laughs> Absolutely. We live in a paranormal world. I've gotten to the point to say that the paranormal is normal and the supernatural is perfectly natural. The only difference is, is we've been trained over the years to deny it, to tune it out, to say it's not where we are, but the spirits are all around us all the time. We just need to learn, learn how to tune into it and shut down that little bit of a skeptic mind. The skeptic mind is great because I always want you to test and validate anything that comes in, but when you're open to the possibility and then you see it there, you experience it or you feel it, then you like have a bit of confirmation and that bit of confirmation leads you to the next and to the next. So it's not necessarily seeing as believing, but it's believing as seeing. And then that seeing becomes the more believing. And then we can help people get into this pathway of going, oh, I never realized that that friend that I had when I was a kid wasn't imaginary after all. It really was somebody who was living nearby. And it's like, yes, it was real the whole time. Yeah, that that's the issue. We are you know, our modern, especially Western society has lost mysticism it, it completely. The magic has been gone. Um, even our religion isn't very mystic anymore. It's like it's oh, that's your imagination, like with a kid's friend. And I think that's one funny good thing that all the paranormal shows, even though they don't go there into that realm, but they've rewoke up people that, oh, there's more than what you see is what you get. There's another mysterious, magical world out there. You know, the good ones, the bad ones, anything along the way, at least have opened up our left brain, logical, silly, you know, Western modern world into something bigger. I totally agree. That is one of the best silver linings to come out of these shows, no matter who's doing them or what, it has captured the curiosity and the intrigue of a vast swath of the populace. And as more people become open and aware of this possibility and reality, really, that's around us, it's affecting the collective unconscious. I mean, I've often said that one of the most saddest, hardest things to deal with of the paranormal experience is not the actual experience itself, it's trying to find somebody to talk to who's gonna understand it and not try to make fun of you or poo-poo you away, but who can actually go, yeah, what you experienced is real. Here's what I've experienced that was similar to that. And you actually had that connection. And because of these shows, I'm starting to finally see more people going, oh, wow, that happened to you. Guess what? This happened to me too. And it's like, oh, finally, we have some commonality going between us instead of shunning and 
pushing it away because people don't want to acknowledge their own paranormal experience. Right, right. Um, so yeah, it's it's done something really good. On that same note, only opposite, what do you feel about this new rise in witchcraft, just both being practitioners of the occult, you know, the, the, the hipster side of it, the, the TV, but all these young people are getting becoming witches and fashion is becoming witch-like. What is, what is your thoughts on that? It's cyclical. I think it's cyclical throughout the times that I've noticed, you know. For a while, the New Age movement kind of swelled up, then the Celtic stuff swelled up, then the Norse stuff swelled up, then, you know, this new wave of witch stuff is swelling up. You know, I think it's just reboxing, repackaging some of the same old stuff to see if a different audience can tap into it. And this is one of the things I always talked about with some of the Norse people when they wondered why I would go to the New Age shows or why I would go to some of the metaphysical fairs and talk to the people there. And I'm like, because it's somebody caught an interest in this. They have an idea of what's out there. And if they encounter us going, hmm, you're not being authentic because you're not doing it my way, then you're going to cast all those curiosity seekers out. And yeah, maybe... Seven out of ten are just that. They're like, ooh, I want to be this. But, oh, there's the reality to it. And I think we're going to see that even with this new swelling, that there's going to be the people that, you know, want to dress up and have the crystals and they go to the, the mainstream stores and buy the witch in a box stuff. <laughs> but you're going to get those other people, you know, that 30 to 40% of people that go, oh, there's something to this. What is it? And then it's up for us to go, ah, you tapped into something there. You tapped into a potential. You ready for more? Well, here we are. Let's, let's help you take it to that next step. So ultimately, I see it's a good thing, but realizing that there's going to be some poo-pooing to it and there's going to be some negative to it. But you know what? That's always just how it's going to be. I agree 100% that because just like the paranormal shows open up people to this other world, even if it's the Sephora new line of witchy eyeliner or whatever that is, <laughs> it's okay. They might go, oh, what is that? Or, or they'll have a little chant on the outside of it and it'll ring with somebody. And it's just a new awareness. That's the same way I feel on some of the, the really silly, not ghost adventures, but some of the silly shows that I've done a lot of, like bad girls club bad girls club with these little urban girls locked in a house and street fighting all the time and it's like and i've done a few episodes and people are like well, why would you do that show it's like because i'm bringing a new perspective a new person uh, a new a new possibility to these little girls let's create an area of this house that we clear it out and you don't have to fight maybe even if it's it's in getting to an audience who would never come to see me or come see you or read either of our books or anything like that there's these little kids are watching bad girls club or pit boss or i can name endless shows it's like yeah but what if you just drop a little seed what if you just you're being you and you're you're going into a new thing I love it. I actually love it. The goofier, that the better. That is so beautiful to reach out to people who may not even know how you can help them. And then suddenly be turned on to this possibility that they had no way, other way that they could have ever known about it. It'll open their minds. It'll open their souls. It'll just bring so much more healing, not only to them, but the other people in their lives and the people they affect. I think that's a beautiful thing you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I do too. And I love young people, this new generation. Everybody talks about the weird young people. Oh, they're magic. They are magic. I speak at a lot of colleges too. And I do stuff. I call, and they're, 
they're so awake, they're so open, they're different, they are different than us. And they're not buying into our parents' spiritual. Well, we didn't either, but they're not buying into that. That didn't work. And when they get these new options or these new something else, it's you just see little light bulbs go on. Little light bulbs. It's magic. <laughs> Absolutely. It's kind of one of my favorite things when I used to go to some of the, the witch gatherings and the the yeah, you know, the magical gatherings here when we could, I I have to admit, I would go there to be somewhat of an antagonist. You know, they would have their assumptions and that this is the way things would work and that I would really challenge them. And I would be kind of the hard ass there. But the reason being is because it helped, I think, to push some people to that level of like, oh, I can do more. I could step up. But it was more seed planting. I was waiting for that light to kick on those eyes to go, oh, I get it. And I'm like, I loved that because those are the ones that took the tools that I was giving through maybe some adversarial conflict, yes, but they took the tools I was giving and went forward with it instead of the pushback going, no, this is terrible. How can you be doing that? And they would go, well, if that works, what else works? And I'm like, I love that because I saw so much growth come from me being a bit of a, a, a crotchety old bugger. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> Um, so going back to like, as we go back into conventions and seeing people live again, what do you think? Do you think there was a big purpose of this whole pandemic that we do see light at the end of the tunnel? Do you think there was a bigger purpose of it? One of my favorite things that's come out of this is we're not as local anymore. I mean, we still work at the, uh, at the local level for sure, but my tribe has expanded to worldwide. I'm talking to people, you know, Australia, Hawaii, Bali, UK, Germany. That's beautiful. I have men attending my classes from all over the world where before we were just here in the Denver area. You know, we've, we've expanded, we've grown. This message is going worldwide. And that's one of my favorite things of the silver lining from this pandemic is it forced us to use new technology in new ways to rethink how we're doing. I mean, you were part of an inspiration for me because seances, I always wanted to do seances in person. I really felt skeptical. I'm like, yeah, I want to be more in control of the environment. But I was watching what you do and how you do it and getting inspired by that. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I can turn these more into individual operations for people in their own homes so that they are also learning to become more empowered by what they're doing. I'm like, ah, I get it. I don't have to be in such control anymore. I can help them to be in a little bit more control. And I'm like, this is just so beautiful. I mean, yeah, it's frustrating that we can't get out. I really cannot wait to get back to a concert. I really can't wait to go hang out in a dark corner at a nightclub and just brood about how yeah. awful the music is. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'm here in my office space and I've only been able to see two clients since I've had it face to face, but I've seen many, 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 many through Zoom, through Skype and on the phone that I would have gotten no other way. And there's no other way I could have reached these people because they couldn't make it here. So I'm, yeah, I'm loving yeah. that. I do too. I absolutely, and the same thing, my whole client base has just gone totally. The hardest part of my job is time zones. Oh, eight hours ahead. No, you're nine hours ahead. You're 17 hours, that's just 60. Ah, that's the hardest <laughs> part of my, my job. And, and you're right about seances. I was worried about Zoom seances. 
but spirit doesn't ha- i don't believe spirit has space or time so and and they're kind of electric co- connection anyway so i think sitting there little talking brady bunch heads is is just like sitting around the dining room table i have no difference in experience who, who really would have thunk that life in 2021 would be the brady bunch meets the matrix and <laughs> that's what it is um and and I think when we go back, it's going to get combined even. Even our mutual friend, Father Sebastian, he mm-hmm. get, missing his live events. He's a huge live event producer, but he's been producing them because you have to online. But I, I know his visions of once we're back out live and, and here's a wall of all the people who couldn't come and they're sitting there on Zoom. And I, I think we're going to have nice hybrids along the way. Oh, absolutely. So you- my next round of classes that I have coming up with all of the pagan men's group, and I've got a couple paranormal classes that I'm teaching through Ritual Craft, uh, you know, school.ritualcraft.com, and the, there's a V in it instead of an F. But all of my upcoming classes for this next quarter are going to be either live and in person, and we're going to do it at Zoom. At the same time, I'll bring my computer and we'll connect to the internet so I can have people in the room asking questions, doing the work, and we're reaching out to people to teach this everywhere. That is awesome. I haven't done that yet, and I want to do that too. That is that. Yeah, there's a hybrid. That's perfect. <laughs> yep. Um, a new world. It is a new world. It is, and it's it's it is getting smaller. It is getting smaller. So I guess that's why we have to keep reaching further and further out into the other worlds, so to speak. Exactly. So. So, yeah, I think, again, that is one of the best things we got. And and I think it was a big wake-up call. Just like, you guys, we have become zombies in the worst sense of the world. Go to your room and sit there until you figure it out. <laughs> and that is exactly part of it, is since you can't get out, get out in the world, you can't do these things externally, this is your time to do your internal work. And that was hard for some of us because some people don't like what's going on in their internal world and they needed the external world as that escape, that getaway. But now it's like, it's time that we have to stop and focus in. And for a lot of people, shadows of their psyche and their their whole soul came to light. They're like, oh, is this really how I feel about those things? Is this what I really believe about the world? No wonder things just aren't working for me because I've got this inner world that is just so detrimental to who I really am. And you wouldn't have been able to see that otherwise. And we need more shadow tools out there because yes, some people had the the capability of addressing their inner world and doing their inner work and going to those places that needed to be done and they could, but for other people it was, they're getting more and more into despair. They're getting more desperate. There's a lot of resentment, if not anger building up inside because they're connecting with those shadow sides and they don't know what to do with it because they don't necessarily have those tools, which is why I'm happy to announce I've got some shadow work coming up online that you'll be able to find through my website. But there's more shadow work, not just with me, but I'm seeing a lot of other shadow workers coming to light because the world is really needing it because we finally got that inner work going that we were just shutting out with too much going on. We could look inside and go, oh, I need help here. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us about a little bit about what some of the things you have coming up, like your shadow work and, and what where can people find you? We're not quite there yet, but tell what do you have coming up? Sure. Right now, uh, you can find me at kadrick.com. And I've got a shadow class coming up. I call it Shadow Ascension. It's a six-week program where every week we're doing either some sort of spiritual growth building 
and we're doing some shadow work at the same time. And shadow work means you go into those deep, dark, ugly places of the psyche, you know, like I really can't stand this person. Or every time my boss comes around, I get fear or I'm feeling this and I just get locked in my own world and I don't want to get out. It's the feelings, the thoughts, the behaviors and the beliefs that are detrimental to our life that we tend to project onto others. Like I can't stand what this person's doing. Those are shadow things. And so we're going to go into that one with the guidance of your own spiritual growth so that every week we go into what those shadows are and how you can build it and what you learn from the shadows. Because here's the thing about the shadow is they're actually hiding something wonderful and amazing about you. They're hiding your superpower. And so when you go into the shadow work, you make friends with the shadow, you learn what the shadow has to offer you. You realize something about yourself that you never knew. And so this is like a six week course with videos, with audio meditations, with PDFs, and you get a session with me once a week so that we can tailor it specifically to what you're doing. And that's coming up soon. If you missed this deadline for this round, don't worry, I'm going to keep cycling it. Just go to my website and click on shadow ascension. And plus I just put up on my paranormal page, a free guide for 10 ways to protect yourself against spiritual attachments, tendrils, and psychic attacks. This is a free guide so you can learn what some of the paranormal problems are that we experience, what kind of entities are causing it, how you can recognize what these problems are, and actually what you can do about it without having to call a priest. And here's a little hint. There's no sage or holy water or exorcisms or prayers involved. None of that. This is more about you taking charge of you and the world around you. So that's the free stuff that I've got on my website. Just kdrick.com, go to the paranormal page or the shadow ascension page. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm so non-sagey. I'm so over-sage. I mean, I have been for years, but it's like, no, don't just go sage your house, really. I think it's become an endangered plant. No, it kills everything. It's like, no, no. Um, that is, <laughs> yeah. Ah, sage, one of those things that I just cringe. Um, and I'm sorry, sage, I didn't mean to feel that way. So, um, um I want to go back for a second, how you said you had a paranormal life. You had a, well, even before we get there, I want to get there, but you notice more stuff is happening. Oh, the veil is thinner, maybe because we've moved into that age of Aquarius. You grew up paranormal. I grew up paranormal, but people now are experiencing that never have. I am doing three times as many clearings, whether it's an office building or a, a clothing manufacturer or a house. Are you noticing that? For want of a better term, yes, the veils are thinning. And I think it's because we're becoming more aware. We're tuning into this one. We're seeing it. Like we were talking about, some of these shows have paranormal all over the place, and people are open to that. And that's kind of maybe one of the downsides to it is that if you see something a little bit off or strange going on in your house, like something moves, or you get that cold spot, or you get that weird feeling, then you go, oh my God, there's something here. I know it. And then you cause, unfortunately, a feedback loop. You're putting out this fear. You're putting out this little bit of terror that's going on. You're putting out this, oh my God, there's something here. It's going to hurt me. And you'll create that. You'll generate that. It'll build up. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And in the meantime, there could be still a spirit in that house who is now just as freaked out as you are because now there's this thing rampaging through going, ooh, let's poke up 
poke the fear, let's poke the terror, let's make these things fly around to cause the problem. And this other spirit is like, dude, what are you doing here? So yeah. what I recommend for people because of that one is a super easy, quick fix is if you have the mentality of, oh my God, what are you going to do to me? It's going to be a problem. But if you have this instead, the shifting of attitude when something's there of, oh, do you need some help? How can I help you? That emotional shift will starve a potential threat. But if there's something there, it'll reach out to you and go, yeah, hey, I'm a little lost. Do you know where I should go? I'm trying to find so-and-so. Do you know what's there? And just that emotional shift will be there. I mean, the veils are thinning because our minds are tuning in and we're becoming aware of it and we're accepting it. But I think we're making our own problems because we, we don't know. We've been taught that, you know, something bad goes on or something weird goes on. It's a demon. Therefore, it's going to get awful and really bad. And it does. But if you can shift that to like, maybe there's somebody here that needs help. Yeah. How do I reach out to help them? Or you laugh at it and you laugh and you have fun with it. You're changing the energetic environment around you through your emotions. And you're going to have a much better experience just by doing those little shifts. Yeah. Yeah. Because people do create their own as much as not completely. They're creating this. Uh, 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 and okay, you're building it. You're building it. Uh, yeah. It's going to be everything you think it's going to be because you're building it. Um, and I love your uh, the laughter thing. I mean, you know, our our philosophy is how we do things are extraordinarily the same, especially working with spirit. Again, because it's organic and we've both trained. But what I wouldn't, I think what you just said, just laugh. Like, oh my God, that's the, that is the absolute best advice I've ever heard or, or been able to give to people. Cause they go, oh, okay. Cause you're breaking your own fear cycle. You're breaking your own, your head, everything that's going on. And then me getting, oh, but that's breath work too, isn't it? Ha ha ha. Oh, that's vowels you're putting out there. Ha ha. Oh my gosh. It's, it's just magic. It's just magic. Absolutely. So, One of the best things I do. I agree. I teach that to people as the first level of like when you encounter something that could be malevolent, laugh at it because you'll break that whole energy thing. You'll activate more of your prefrontal cortex, which is connected to higher functioning and it's connected to your higher self. So you move into that higher state. But here's a, an advanced tip. If laughter will help get you there, here's the thing that'll take you to the next step. And I absolutely love teaching this in my seance classes and my paranormal protection classes. Imagine that you have an entity in the room that's trying to provoke you into a fear or an anger state or some sort of an icky feeling. You know it's external from you. You know it's not you doing that one. So what you can do instead of like, oh, oh my God, it's going to hurt me, is you go, oh my God, you're real. How <laughs> awesome is that? Because that shifts you even to a higher state above laughter when you go into the sense of awe and wonder of like, wow, you're real and you can affect me in that way? How cool is that? Meanwhile, this thing that maybe had the not so best intentions for you is going, what are you doing? Okay, I don't want anything to do with it. Never mind. Just because you shifted that emotional state to awe and wonder, it 
it's it's so much fun to watch people just go, whoa, there's a negative entity over there. How cool is that? Those things are real. You can't bug me because I think you're cool. But yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I'm going to use it and give you full credit. Um, anyway, well, I guess we're not actually even going to have much time to get into your paranormal background, which I wanted to hear more about. Um, so well, you'll just have to come back again. I'm always happy to spend time with you, Patty. You're okay. so wonderful. <laughs> so again, one more time, tell people how they can find you, where you are, any social media that you have. Sure. My website is kadrick.com, K-A-E-D-R-I-C-H.com. And on there, you'll find pages for my rune work, for my pagan men work, for the paranormal stuff, and for my shadow work. You'll find all of that there. And if you're somehow one of those strange people who go onto Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, like all of us do, then you'll find me in all of those places. And I'm always happy to answer questions and you can bounce thoughts and ideas off of me. I'm always happy to take any of those kind of things. So, well, thank you so much, Kadrick. You guys, honestly, he's one of the coolest, most amazing, wise, people I know and one of my favorite people. So look them up, kdrick.com. Find him on all your social media. And I will see you soon, I'm sure, here, there, or anywhere. Vegas, maybe? Vegas. Vegas. (laughs) Vegas. Vampires in Vegas. Um, So anyway, thank you so much, Kedrick. Everybody, Kedrick Olson, kdrick.com. Thank you for being my amazing guest. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to The Witching Hour. Come back next week. Bye.